So we could definitely not do our ministry without Radius. So thank you very much, Radius. We, we value you guys. Really, I'm gonna get tears in my eyes. I don't want this opportunity because it does. It means that much to our families. They are very helpful in every day. The partnership with uh, Radius has been life-changing. Ezekiel Ministries mentors kids from hard places in partnership with local churches and their members, just like you. I heard about Ezekiel at my church. They had mentioned the mentoring program. Before you know it, I was volunteering. I just love the kids. I, I, I miss them when I don't get to see them. Every time I go on a mentoring outing, I often look back and thinking, could I have done something different or better? And in the end, it's just showing up. These are our, our future disciples. You know, maybe we can't, maybe we're not going door to door, standing in parking lots, sharing the gospel. But these kids, some of them are. We could not do anything we do without the generous hearts of people in our community. We believe that together through service and generosity, families will grow stronger, kids' lives will change forever, and communities will be impacted for the gospel. How about the Easy Center? I don't know if you know this, but they were birthed out of Radius. You just saw Emily Fordry on the screen. She's actually the wife of our campus pastor down at Radius, Carolina. There are many folks from the variety of Radius churches that volunteer with the Easy Center. We host Easy over at Radius White Knoll and at Radius Lexington, and they serve folks that really need an after-school program uh, throughout the year. We love it. Over the course of this year, through Give Hope Funds, you and I, we pulled this together last year. We've been able to give them $65,750, and they've put it to good use for folks in need in our community. That's kind of what Give Hope's all about, right? We do this every year. This is an all-radius Sundays. For those of y'all might be new, we do this 10 times a year where we, we all hear the same message the same way. And one of the reasons we do all radius is because we can do good work with stuff like Give Hope with organizations like Easy. With the Give Hope funds that we all pull together, we kind of stack our cash this time of year. We're able to uh, take care of these variety of ministry grants, which you saw a story about last year, last week. And then, then you're able to uh, sponsor these groups that are just killing in our community for the good of the people. If you understand what Give Hope is, really, we stack our cash to take care of poverty locally. Like we, we send some other funds uh, to the mission field. We use other funds to plant churches. This is strictly to take care of folks in our community, and we do it with partners of all sorts. So thank you for uh, considering getting in on these Give Hope funds. Here's what we did. The children's ministry came up with this little slogan, give one and give for fun. So your kids, if you got kids in the children's ministry today, they're going to have the opportunity to give $1. It's a great lesson for them. It's, it's a way to teach them to give. And then next week, we really wanted them to begin to learn what it looks like to be a cheerful giver. So give one, and then next week they come back with either another one or, or two or whatever the dollar amount is. It gives them a chance to give one and just be a part of a team, be together, and then give for fun, so be cheerful about it the following week. We're going to do the same thing with students. And as I'm listening to them, I'm like, this would be amazing for adults. Like, it'd be amazing for us here at Radius to all participate. That's really what we're going for on Give Hope. It's, we, we have a goal financially because we love taking care of folks in need in our communities. 
But as we thought about this, almost as importantly, we really wanted you to have a chance to participate. So this week is Give One. If you're an adult and you sit in one of our rooms, there's probably about 2,000 people across all radius adults in rooms. And more than that, even today, uh, you can add a zero if you want and give 10 or if you want to add two zeros and make it 100 or three zeros if you really want to and make it 1,000. It doesn't matter, but give one. Give one today. And then next week when we get back together, we're going to practice being cheerful givers and we'll give for fun. It is a honor that the Lord has placed us in the United States of America with so much stuff. And we really want to be good with ours here at Radius. We want to consistently see others without and take care of them. Just as an update, it's about as of right now, there's about $78,000 have already been given to Give Hope by 219 donors. So, so Cheryl and I, one of us is in the donor pool. We're one of the 219. And today on Give One, we're going to get in again. We're going to use the other name. I got a bunch of kids at a variety of campuses, no pressure kids, but all the Reeves names ought to be on this list. Like we really want that donor number to be really high. It's 219 right now. It could be 10 times that if everybody gets in. So, uh, man, talk about that with your family and think about Give One and Give for Fun. And we'll look forward to telling stories about how God has used our resources to bless our community. Jesus, we do thank you. We know we have a lot. And we thank you for it. And, Lord, you know us. We can consume it all. We do that fairly easily. Protect us from that. Keep us from falling in that trap. Help us see others with our resources and grow us into people that are generous. Even this uh, little activity we do every year, pray your blessings on it, Lord. We want it to please you. We want it to make your name famous in our community. We uh, trust you with it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the last Sunday of a series we've done called Multiply You. It's a study through the book of 2 Timothy, and uh, I'm kind of excited to kind of get to the end of it. it it's, we, we called this thing Multiply You. We birthed it out of one verse in 2 Timothy. It's, it's chapter 2, verse 2. Let me read it to you. You've heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. It's really simple verse that a lot of people use when they start talking about discipling. We got a little book that we're going to give out after a while called Discipling. Like, like it's this verse that captures Paul passing along what he learned from Jesus to Timothy and then Timothy passing along to trustworthy. It says in the NLT, uh, reliable witnesses, other passages, a trustworthy, I mean, reliable, trustworthy people. I'm assuming if you're a partner here at Radius, then you're trustworthy people that as we've shared second Timothy, it's landing on you and you're, you're the trustworthy people. But it's got this other word in the others. There's a lot of folks in our room that have yet to partner and, and you're the others. And we really are excited to take this good news that Jesus passed on to Paul, who passed it on to Timothy, who passed it on to trustworthy people and now be able to pass it on to you as others. We're going to see that word a little later in this text. But man you got to feel as we've read through this book that it's our responsibility to take this good news and pass it along to the next generation. I kept picturing as a baton, this precious really relationship that we have with Jesus 
this amazing good news that Jesus paid our price on the cross by sacrificing his life. And we have it in our hands. We own it. It's been given to us as a gift. And Apostle Paul's telling Timothy and he's telling us to pass it along, to make sure we get it to the next generation, which really captures the whole book. It's it's multiply you. But you cannot miss as you read Second Timothy. As you imagine this young man named Tim in a town of Ephesus getting this letter, if you if you've listened to it on your phone in you version, it takes 12 minutes. So you imagine him getting a piece of paper. It would have been written in Greek and sitting by the mailbox or or in the house and reading this letter from Paul. And it probably take him 12, 20 minutes to read through it and just allowing it to kind of wash over him as Paul prepares what he would call a son. Certainly, Paul had been a mentor to him. He explained the truths of the Bible to him as he explained to Timothy and prepared him for what's about to come. It's going to get hard. So what's kind of crazy about this little letter on a piece of paper written from Paul and delivered to Timothy and Timothy taking it in. Well, the early church, they got to hold this letter. Timothy let a few people in Ephesus read it and then somebody reproduced it. And then they started passing it around about 367 A.D. And then again at the Council of Hippo, like this thing was actually folks like that. This letter's got a power to it, unlike other letters. So they took Second Timothy and they included it in our New Testament. And you and I read it not like it's written to Timothy, but like it's written to us. So I thought for our last Sunday in Second Timothy, I'd start from chapter one and just review all the way to the last chapter and let the last chapter give its punch. Because I really believe chapter one, two and three. Remember, it's just one letter. They all lead to this punch that we'll get to in chapter four. So chapter one. If I was going to sum up chapter one in two words, I would sum it up. Love you. Exclamation point. You get this relationship between Timothy and Paul that's got depth. And Paul clearly cares deeply about Timothy and Timothy clearly respects Paul greatly. So you you get this verse in chapter chapter one, verse five. I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that was first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. You kind of you immediately pick up on this multiply you relationship between Paul and Timothy that has depth of time and relationship. Paul knows his mom, his grandma. He knows the story and he knows all these hours that they've spent together as Paul has attempted to pass this baton along to him. Then we come to chapter two and it picks up pace. It reminds me a ton. Some of these phrases in these in these chapters of me sitting in the stands coaching my kids uh, with with just a couple words. When my kids were on offense in, in basketball, I would constantly yell, be strong, be strong. I want to be strong with the ball. I want to finish around the rim. I was always pushing them to be strong. Well, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. He doesn't talk about the weight room. He doesn't talk about Timothy's resources or his connections. He says you can be strong in the grace 
that God gives you in Christ Jesus, God will make you strong. Learn to lean into the strength that God gives you. You know why? Because it's going to get really hard. If you remember, this is near the end of Paul's life. This is his very last letter, and he's anticipating his own death. Not death of old age, but actually execution. He's going to be a martyr. And he knows that the times are tough and that Timothy needs to be prepared to walk in those times. I uh, don't think we fully get that as Americans. There are folks in other countries today that have gathered together and they hustled their way to a little private gathering so that nobody would know because everything's at risk. There are folks throughout history that because they would get together like we are today, not out of stubbornness, but out of their love for God, they get together today, get caught, get connected to this movement called the way or uh, that, that is spoken of in the New Testament. Right. This this followers, these followers of Jesus connected to what we call the church, then they would lose. Man, sometimes half their income because nobody would visit their business anymore. There are folks throughout history that would lose their home because of this connection. In our day, man, they would lose their, all that they have, their phone, their car, the, for, for our kids in the room, like that phone. You imagine having to turn your phone in order to come in here to worship? Folks all over the world have paid that kind of price. Folks in Lexington remember me telling the story, but I'll tell it for everybody. Uh, There's a story told um, during the Cold War between the Soviet Union and the United States, there's a story told of a little church gathering. And uh, they're in hiding. Nobody knows they're there. And someone from the KGB identifies it. And a group of soldiers come in armed. And they have the small little congregation stand up against the wall uh, while holding their rifles. And then the leader of the KGB kind of, communicates this command to them. He says, hey, anybody who wants to leave, anybody who wants to deny Christ right now, you can get up and you walk out the door and we'll forget we ever saw you. And so a few, few of the folks trickle out of the room and then there's this little tiny group of people up against the wall and the leader of the KGB goes, let's worship. And they sit down and have this amazing worship service because these folks have been established in Christ, and they're strong. They're willing to die for their faith under immense persecution. What would happen if that happened at your spot this morning, at one of the radius churches? What would you do? Would you walk? Or would you stay? Because over the course of the time, you become strong. And the grace of God has flowed through you and it's created this core strength. None of us just talk, talk arrogantly about that. None of us that I know of have been in that position. It's a great check of our faith. Later in chapter two, uh, Paul tells Timothy to work hard. This is in verse 15. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker one who does not need to be ashamed or who correctly explains the word of truth. From the stands when my kids were on defense, because defense is all about work, I'd yell, work, 
work. I know it seems like traumatic to be one of my children in the game, but that, that's just how it was in my house. And Paul's literally saying this to his son in Christ, hey, work, work hard. Like, be strong, but work hard. And here's what's really interesting in the passage that we just read. I, I hope you remember this when we went through it. He connects working hard with allowing God to work through you, working hard to God's approval. Like, this is how you get the approval of God. If you've had a great parent or a great coach or a great teacher, there's nothing like presenting yourself to your mom or dad or coach or teacher or boss, if they're great, and, and you've done what you were told, you worked hard and gaining their, it's just a great moment when you realize their approval. And be clear, work hard and their approval is also connected by the end of that verse to correctly explaining the word of truth. To how you handle the words that have been given to you from God, i.e. your Bible, how you've handled it in this world is connected to you being ratified as a good worker, somebody who works hard. And that is a massive responsibility for me and you. So I love you, Timothy. Be strong, work hard. And then I thought this was the most telling of all the statements. In chapter three, the first little section summarize it with stay away. You remember this verse? This is verse five of chapter three. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. I could not help but think about the church in America when I read those verses. They will act religious, but they reject the power that can make them godly. And then what does he say? Stay away from people like that. Wow. Stay away from them. He qualifies what those people are in the verses previous. Uh, you probably remember it when your campus pastor worked through it. In verse 2, he, he, I'll just summarize it with this brief statement at the beginning of verse 2. He says, stay away from the people, for people will love only themselves and their money. And then he goes on to unpack this variety of other things in the next couple verses. But I thought that was just powerful in a world that actually affirms the idea of loving yourself, right? The great T.O., Terrell Owens, I love me some me. <laughs> when he said that, I was like, that is the coolest thing I've ever heard. It's brainless, but it's cool the way he said it. Taylor Swift and her, me, he, he, right? Like Taylor Swift, she's this great influencer and we hear her and, and really she does this, um, she's, she's ridiculously charismatic and she draws your attention to these words and really promotes this idea of loving self. And uh, the writer here is saying, no, that's not who we are. He's actually saying, stay away from those type of influences that would cause you to, Center yourself around you. Instead, I want you to center yourself around the life and the person of Jesus Christ. I thought it really interesting for us as Americans that he says, for people will love only themselves and their money. He kind of just puts it right in our face. Like, well, our nation deals with, like uh, uh, Jerry, uh, again, over at Centerville, constantly says it's our drug of choice money. It just grabs us and owns us. I, 
I particularly thought it interesting this year that Thanksgiving falls on a Thursday and we slow down. And if you did a good job on that day, you thank the Lord for all that you have and you rested for a day. <laughs> In the way our world works, the very next day is Black Friday and we go back to wanting. Come around Sunday and we break bread and we've got the Lord's Supper and we say, well, I have all that I need. And then what happens on Monday? Now we got Cyber Monday. You don't get a breath. Then the computer or the phone fires back up and I need more. And then there's that Tuesday now, right? Giving Tuesday. And really for all of us, it's this great day to take account and go like, have I consumed everything I have or do I love money? Because if you get to, to Giving Tuesday and I got nothing else for somebody else, then I love my money. It's not really, it's not debatable. I'm in love with my money, so I, I, I consume it all for myself or for my family. I thought that particular passage, chapter 3, 1 through 5, was just so applicable to us in the United States of America. As I read it the first time, and it kind of worked its way over me, I really had to slow down. I, I kind of wanted to make it about them and then as I made it about myself, I had to ask myself, what's influencing me? I'd, I'd love for you to do it right now. Like, what are the top five influencers in your life? Like, make a little list. What are the top five influencers? I'll show off my vocabulary, Generation Z. Like, do your, do your influences, like, are they just full of riz? Is, is that all they got? Like, for, for those of y'all my age, I had to be informed of this this week. They have this word they use called riz, which captures a bigger word called charisma. And we tend to just get sucked in, whether it be on social media or whether it be in politics or whether it be in our own neighborhoods and schools with the people who have the most charisma. But is there anything to them? Is there any truth there. Otherwise, you get sucked in to these influences and they lead you down a path. And as I read those verses, I had to, as I looked in the mirror, I had to ask this question, am I sliding away from the truths that I know about God? I've been following him a long time. I'm a pastor, for goodness sakes, right? Like, am I sliding? You, you probably should ask the same. I heard an amazing story this week. Uh, one of our 10-year-olds uh, their father showed me a picture of a sticky tack note that uh, this 10-year-old put in their room, and, and on it, it said, am I sliding? This is a wonderful 10-year-old. Uh, like, I, I know them, and, and I thought, this, this is amazing that they heard that message, and they're willing to examine their hearts and, and just ask the question. If you remember, there's a little line in there about being obedient to parents, which I thought every student, every kid in one of our rooms today, like that's, that's a question. Am I sliding? Did I used to obey and am I not now? It's a great question. For the rest of us, am I, am I becoming the center of my life because of all these influencers that have riz? Like, are they getting to me? Are they stealing my soul? Because I used to be centered on Christ. And then at the end of the chapter, we come to verse 16 of chapter 3, and he reminds us who the influencer should be. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our, our lives. 
It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. There it is. The word. Uh, if you want to go like Ohio State, the Ohio State University, as they always claim, this is the word. We're going down our list. Love you. Be strong. <laughs> Work hard. Stay away. The word. Man, he 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 just lands the idea counter opposed to all the other things that I just read, like as opposed to all the things that the influencers are teaching us to do, make your primary influencer the word. And then he just simply lays out what the word can do for you. And by verse 17, he said, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. It's a gift from God. He gives it to us. He uses it to get us in a position to please him with our lives. And then we come to chapter four, which is where we'll be for just a couple more minutes this morning. Chapter four, if you, you remember when a letter is written, it's actually written from start to finish. There's no chapters. We've divided them out. So when you get to chapter four, Paul is like turning it up a little bit. And he's already explained that Timothy is receiving this baton. He's got to pass it on to others that he's the instrument. And now he's got the ultimate influence, the word in his hands, the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And he's got to pass it on. Here's how he says it: I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up the kingdom. That's serious. <laughs> like he says, hey, I'm going to urge you to do this with a couple witnesses. I'm urging you to do this and God's watching and Jesus is watching. So, Timothy, take me serious. I think for you and I sitting in the rooms as this book has been passed down through the ages as the written word of God, you and I got to go, all right, whether I want to or not, I showed up at a radius church this morning. I'm listening to his word and God and Jesus are watching me listen to his word. There's witnesses. In the same way, Paul then ties them witnessing this to the judgment. To when Christ returns. And establishes his kingdom. That's a long conversation when that's going to go down. We had that conversation another day. But he connects it to judgment when we give account for for how we use these lives that he trusted us with. So I, I, me and you, we ought to take what we've learned from this book really seriously as it's landed on us. We know that God and Jesus witnessed it landing on us. Now what are we going to do with it? And here's the punch. Chapter two, I mean, chapter four, verse two. Paul takes all these words that he's used in the first three chapters and he points it to this simple line. Preach the word of God. I took JT, one of my sons, to uh, a basketball tournament. We were in another town and we visited this uh, big charismatic church. So I was excited to go in and see. I think JT was 10 or 11. And we pull up in the parking lot. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, the music was rocking. You could hear it in the parking lot. It was like the walls on the building were expanding because it was so loud. And JT gave me the look. And, and we go inside. And, man, it was this crazy time of uh, music and worship. And we had a good time. And then, of course, the preacher came up to preach. And 
that dude had the nicest white teeth of all time. What is that about these guys? Like he had this amazing white teeth and, and he begins to preach and it, probably the most moving time of the whole deal other than the offering. When, when he asked for the offering, we had to file out by a row and then walk up past the offering. I ain't never seen anything. I, I, I know you know me. That, that made me want to rebel. Like I didn't want to get up. I got up and walked and kind of walked by it with JT. I'd never seen it. Felt awkward. But the most amazing part was when the guy began to preach, there was a dude that sat over to the right and JT's right here and he stands up and he looks angry and he's jacked and he's looking at the preacher. He, we're way back in the back and he's like, preach. And he started pointing JT like, what is going on? It was amazing. He brought this intensity to what the pastor was about to do. And he just, he said it over and over. And I was like, Ooh, this is crazy, man. Like, and there was something just very right about it. And there's some stuff that was a little whack about it all, but it was cool to kind of grab the importance of preaching the word. And I would say, as Paul looks at Timothy and through Timothy to, uh, some trustworthy folks, and then on to the others in our rooms today. And you could just imagine Paul with that same intention. He's saying, preach. And you go, hey, wait a minute. I'm not the campus pastor here. I'm, this is just my church. I'm, I'm a partner here. I, I'll go, yeah, I hear you. And some of this, I can see how you could think about one of the pastors at Radius. But it's pretty hard to read this passage as a passage inspired by God and not think that it's directed right at you. Check, check out how the passage reads. It says, preach the word, which doesn't just mean be up on stage. It gives you the idea of a herald, someone who comes to town with news and he's got to say it. And he says it loud in the marketplace so many can hear. He runs down the street and tells individuals. And I would just say, hey, we're all responsible, all of you that are trustworthy servants. We're all responsible to preach the word. We're not all responsible to do it like this. And so we have to know the word. And this is what he said the word does. Be prepared, whether in time, whether the time is favorable or not. If you're being persecuted, preach it. If you're not, preach it. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. It's really interesting that, that, that there's only one positive word there. It's to encourage. But often we're to correct and rebuke. If you skip down just a little bit to verse 5, I think it's kind of cool. He, he, he goes, but keep your... Uh, keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of the suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others, there's our word others again, others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. There's certainly this anticipation by Peter as he's talking to Timothy. Hey, you've got to work to get this news out. Lots of people need to hear it. You really begin to feel like this responsibility for it to grow for them to grow in influence, for many, many folks to take in the good news. And like, Timothy, you got to stay with this. Lots of folks have got to hear it. So you, you, you kind of feel the growth. And then if you read the verse prior in verse three, he says, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. We got all that going on. So you kind of have quantity. So Paul's emphasizing quantity. Get out there and tell everybody, no matter whether they're suffering or not, but there also ought to be quality. 
I hope you catch that that's what your campus pastor's been trying to do throughout this series. Like we really love it when new people come to Radius and we like to do this in a way where people would like to come listen. But we also really want to have a pruning quality to what we say. And over the course of time, it ought to demand something from you. And today, we really want to let this book demand, particularly those that have known Jesus for a while, demand from you the desire to make a disciple. If you don't have that desire, I would encourage you this morning to pray for that desire. It's, it's demanding. And if you've been here a long time and you're just like, I'm not interested, this probably is the wrong church for you. Because because we really want to live this out. We want to do it in a way where quantity matters, where we're sharing with our neighbors and we love in our radius and uh, give hopes all about that. Getting our name out in a way that's positive so people could hear the good news and come in. But then there's this expectation that it'll transform you, that it'll prune you eventually and make you die to yourself. And you've got to give it away. Paul closes out the letter. With a couple words, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've remained faithful. He's saying, I got to the finish line. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. A lot to be said there. I think it's particularly interesting that Paul's going to be beheaded. And he's talking about a crown that's going to be put on his head. So, Like all these things he's telling Timothy, he's living. He's taking it all the way to the finish line. He's going to preach the word all the way to the finish line. And he's not worried about losing his head. He's looking forward to to the Lord restoring his head to his body and placing a crown on his head and stating that he's been declared righteous. There's a lot of conversation about that crown. We'll leave that for another day. I hope you can see as we've gone through this book and watch Timothy hear from Paul how to be a disciple and be encouraged to pass this baton on to others and disciple others, that that is a call for you to go make disciples. Jesus and God as our judge, right? Here today, with us in our rooms, watching you take in the scripture with anticipation of meeting them someday at the judgment seat of Christ are wondering what you're going to do. I mean, they know (laughs) it's God, but like, what are you going to do? Are we going to get to the judgment seat of Christ and say, I didn't understand that you meant for me to make disciples, even though you said with the Great Commission, go make disciples. What are you going to say? say We're too busy. I didn't know enough. Like, what is our excuse going to be? Because I don't think there's going to be one good enough. I actually think when we see Jesus in his greatness and glory, we're just going to just going to say, we should have told everybody. I should have told everybody. On that note, uh, today, uh, a bunch of partners actually signed up to receive one of these books because you want to be a disciple maker. Thank you. On your way out, there's one with your name on it. Grab it. 
in uh, January, we're going we're gonna to start a discipleship class. You can look for, up, look for it, sign up for it. When you sign up for that class, if you didn't get one of these books today, you can get it at the, at the January date where we pull all the campuses together. And we're just going to train to be disciples because what we don't want to do is show up and meet the great God of the Bible and have an excuse for why we didn't make disciples. Some of us will make one, some of us will make 10. That doesn't matter. Like, like all of us should be responsible. All of us need to be prepared. The writer of this book, Mark Dever, says this, discipling simply means helping others follow Jesus. A little broader definition. Discipling is a relationship in which we seek to do spiritual good for someone by initiating, teaching, correcting, modeling, loving, humbling ourselves, counseling, and influencing. So we're really going to dedicate ourselves to this in 2024 radius. If you're a partner, I really want you to get on this. And we, we need to grow in our ability to make a disciple. You're like, I've never made one. Great. This is our chance to start. Like I'm in the third quarter of my life or I'm in the fourth quarter of my life. Well, let's have a comeback here, here at the end. Let's learn how to make a disciple and give this good news to someone else. Jesus gave us a variety of commands. And I imagine when we see him, he's going to ask us why we did or didn't follow them. One of them would be go and make disciples. And the other would be this statement that's often on, on a table in front of churches. And it says, do this in remembrance of me. And so every Sunday as we get together and we celebrate our relationship with Jesus, we come down and take bread and juice and we say to him, thank you. We thank him for dying on our behalf and having his body broken, his blood shed. Then we celebrate a death. Why? For, for one, it was transformative to us because we died with him and we were risen from the dead with him. And so we have life, but we also do it because he told us to. So as you take bread and juice today, meet with Jesus. Think about seeing him face to face someday. Think about the day when you fully understand his sacrifice on the cross. When you fully understand what it looked like for him to suffer under the wrath of God. That moment when you fully understand how much he loved you in order to do that. Think on that as you go up and take bread and juice. And as you celebrate that, ask him for the courage to walk down a path toward making one disciple. And we'll do this thing together. Jesus, we celebrate you. You're worth all that we own. You're worth our life. We love you. You know us, Lord, as we read this letter and we think about Timothy and we think about him needing to be encouraged to do these things. We need to be encouraged to do these things. So we pray, Holy Spirit, you'd help us. Help us right now as we worship and we remember Jesus. Give us a, a better picture a clearer picture of what he did on our behalf. And Holy Spirit, give us courage to go and make disciples. For many, just give them courage to sign up for this class or for those that got the book, give them a great time reading through the book and encourage their soul and give them initiative to just meet one person that they could pass the good news that they know on to. Thank you for this little book, 2 Timothy. Uh, we needed it, Lord.
We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.